I think this, this last line uh, is just something that we can continue to kind of marvel at in some ways, right? This Jesus talking, right? Let the children come to me. Do not prevent them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Amen, I say to you, whoever does not accept the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it. Okay, if this is, if this is what Jesus is laying down, we need to ask, what does it mean for a child to accept the kingdom of God? Right, if he's, if he's saying this, right, and unless you accept the, the kingdom of God like a child, right, so in other words, you need to do this if you want to enter into heaven. And so to ask that question, like, okay, what, what does that look like? And I just, I just think about this sort of, this, this sort of simplicity childlike simplicity to just accept whatever Jesus says. And sometimes, yes, we know this, right? Kids love to ask the question, why, right? They, they love to like, well, why do, we do, why do we do this? Why are you doing this? Why, 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 right? To the point that you finally just say, well, just because. Right, but, but at the same time, kids don't always do that. And even when they do that, eventually, there's an answer that satisfies them and they're just sort of able to accept it. Like this is the, that childlike simplicity of, okay, Jesus, whatever you say. And I, I think about this because I think, I think we get this at least in part, right? Uh, so to sort of illustrate this, um, I want to talk a little bit about our second reading from the letter to the Hebrews. There's, there's something going on in this, in this selection from the church that I don't quite understand. So I, when I have mass on Sundays, I follow along with the readings in my Bible. So I, I look them up ahead of time, of course, you know, right, because I need to prepare a homily, but uh, I, I look them up ahead of time and mark them in my Bible. I put little bookmarkers in there and I'll flip around as the readings are being proclaimed. So as I'm following along this week, I noticed there's a difference in the first verse of our reading. So we heard from Hebrews chapter two, verses nine through 11. So this is verse nine, according to what we heard, right? So we just heard this a few moments ago. Brothers and sisters, he for a little while was made lower than the angels, that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Okay, so that's verse nine. In verse nine in my Bible and in Every Bible, I looked this up just to make sure that it wasn't my Bible that was a little off. In every Bible, this is what chapter 2, verse 9 in the letter to the Hebrews says. But we see Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. I said, did, did you catch that? There's like an extra line in the Bible compared to what we heard. And I don't, I don't know why, why that line is left out, but to me, it's, it seems like the line that actually makes a lot of, like it, it kind of, for me, it puts everything together, right? So the, the line, if you didn't catch it, is this. It's, so we see Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels. And then this is the line crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone right so to be Christian 
That is, to believe in Jesus, to be his disciple, is to live like he lived. Right? If I am his disciple, then my goal is to follow him everywhere he goes, to do whatever he does and imitate him as well as I possibly can. Right? So I believe in Jesus. I am his disciple. Hopefully you can follow along and say the same thing. I believe in Jesus. I am his disciple. Therefore, I want whatever he has, and I do whatever he does. So the author here is writing to us and saying that Jesus is crowned with glory and honor. Right? So if I'm hearing this as a follower of Jesus, I'm hearing it also as a promise to me that the author is making that we know is divinely inspired. The author is promising to us, right? If Jesus, if as a disciple, I do what he does and I want what he has. So if Jesus is crowned with glory and honor, that means for those of us who are his disciples, who follow him wherever he goes, the thing that awaits us is glory and honor. Can you hear this? That God has planned for you glory and honor. What an incredible gift. Now, there's kind of a tricky thing of this, right? So it's not necessarily like, what's the catch? But at the same time, there is kind of this, right? So we need to, because we can't just take like one verse and say like, oh, this is it, right? That's not even one verse. That's like part of one verse. Because after all, Jesus is crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. Right, so because he suffered death, and this is what the next line says, right? For it was fitting that he for whom and through whom all things exist, that is God the Father, in bringing many children to glory, should make the leader to their salvation perfect through suffering. That's verse 10. So in my Bible, at verse 10, there's a little asterisk there. And in my Bible, whenever there's an asterisk, That means I need to flip to the appendix in the back and see what the note says. So in my appendix, it says suffering, the divinely appointed means of progress toward God. That's really crummy. Right? The the author is telling us, okay, if you want the glory and honor that Jesus has, That means you need to live like him. And how did he ultimately live? He lived a life of sacrifice and suffering. So for some reason, God has ordained that the way that we grow closer to him comes through suffering, which is like super lame, right? I don't always understand that. And I I I never like it. Right, like doesn't the author know, like doesn't God know that we were gonna be reading this in the 21st century in America where like we hate suffering? And we're always trying to feel as comfortable as we possibly can, right? Like nobody likes to suffer. And yet as part of God's mystery, as part of our following of Jesus, 
God has ordained. He has chosen that the way that we grow closer to him is to suffer. This is really hard. Right? And this is, this is what I was thinking about with the childlike simplicity, right? This, this, this idea that the kingdom of God belongs to those who can accept the kingdom of God as children accept things. It belongs to such as these, he says. How they're just freely able to say like, okay, I don't, Jesus says it. So it's got to be true. And I think, like I said, I think in part we, we get this. But there's a huge part that we just don't get. And it's this, that we love, and I'm included in this, I say we, right? We love the abstract ideas about Jesus and about being a Christian. Love your neighbor, absolutely. Care for the poor, definitely. Deny yourself, well, okay. Like, I can get behind that. Whoever wishes to be first must be the last. Whoever wishes to be the greatest must be the servant of all. Well, all right, we can do that. Right, we love the abstract ideas, but then whenever Jesus gets really practical in his teaching, it's not as easy. Love your neighbor, absolutely. Change your plans so that you can take care of this person. I've got stuff going on. I don't think I can do that. Worship God, yes. Change your plans so that you can make sure you make it to Mass every Sunday. Don't you know that I'm busy? Right, like, we love the abstract, but the practical, I don't know if I can always do that. Right, can, can you see the point that I'm making? That when Jesus gets really practical in his teaching, that's when we have a tendency to like put our foot down and say, Jesus, I'm not going to change. You need to change your commands. You should, be, you should be happy that I'm just here. When it's like the exact opposite, right? Like we should be happy that he's here. We should be happy that he has invited us into, into his glory and honor. And we should, be, we should be willing to say as children, like, whatever you say. But whenever he gets really practical, we just, it's so hard to change. It's hard to change our minds. It's hard to change our actions. And what's more, when we talk about the really practical things, they can be really sensitive topics. And because they're really sensitive topics, it can feel like if, if the practical topic is about something that I do, then it can feel like I'm being persecuted, as though I'm being told that I'm a bad person. Which is, Ironic and funny because the message of the gospel is the exact opposite of that. The message of the gospel, brothers and sisters, is that to God, you are an incredible person. He thinks you're, you're the best. And he thinks that you're so incredible, that you're so good, you're so precious to him, that he's not willing to lower his standards. And so he preaches 
abstract things, yes, but he also preaches very practical things, and those practical things he's not willing to bend on because you are so incredible and because you are meant to be great and not mediocre. So whenever we talk about the practical things, it's just incredibly important for us to remember that we're talking about behavior and not about identity. To remember that your identity in God's eyes, who you are to him, is incredibly valuable. And so you're so valuable to him that if he sees that your behavior does not fit the behavior that leads to glory and honor, he's going to challenge you on that. And he's going to tell you that you need to repent, to change your ways so that you can live as one who is destined for glory and honor. So when he talks about practical things like today in our gospel, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. He's not worried about being really practical in that, although it is very practical and it is very sensitive. I was thinking about this, how probably everyone who's alive, at least in this church, if not alive in general, everyone knows at least somebody who's divorced. I have lots of people in my family who are divorced. Some who are divorced and remarried outside the church. Right, we're talking about behavior here, how, how for these people, they are so beloved and valued by God to the point that he wants to see their behavior and to tell them, you shouldn't have done that. Or he wants to tell people who are considering a divorce, you shouldn't do that. Because that's not the kind of behavior that leads to glory and honor, the kind of glory and honor that he has destined for us because that's what he's experiencing. Well, Jesus, that's so hard. Yes, you progress toward God through suffering. This is, I think, an incredibly important point for us. Like Jesus, in his teaching, is being radical. Absolutely. Right? He talks about this, how Moses, or they talk about how Moses permitted that they could write a bill of divorce. Jesus is saying, like, I'm aware of this, but I'm here to reveal to you who you are. Right? It was, divorce was common in, in the time of the Old Testament. Because why? Because it was like the men were allowed to treat their women like they were just a piece of property. Right? Like, I'm going to marry you, but when I'm tired of you, I'm going to write this bill and I'm going to get rid of you. Just like you'd get rid of anything nowadays. My phone is old, I'm going to get rid of it. My car is old, I'm going to get rid of it and get a new one, right? Jesus is saying, no, that's not how it was. Have you not read what was in the beginning? God made them male and female so that a husband shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife so that the two become one flesh. He's saying it's not the case that a woman is just a piece of property, but that she's as valuable as the man is. In fact, in our first reading, when it talks about how the Lord's saying, I will make a suitable partner for the man, he's not like the word, the translation that we use, it just doesn't quite do it. The suitable partner, it's the only time it's used in scripture is speaking about divine assistance, as though God himself is giving what only he can give so that the man can have fulfillment in his life. 
Ladies, can you hear that? That you are given to men as divine assistance. Husbands, can you hear this? That your wives are given to you as divine assistance. Not just someone who can like make you dinner and do the dishes. But as divine assistance. Where yes, there are practical parts of, of sharing in married life. But the, the point of this is like to, to bring into your marriages, and for those of us who are not married, to bring into our mindset this idea, this question, how can I be of divine assistance for my spouse, for the people around me? How does God want to use me to help this person on their way to glory and honor? How would that change your life? How would that change my life? If every morning I woke up and you woke up and you asked that question, how can I participate in the life of God to such an extent that I actually can help the people around me, beginning with my spouse, moving to my children, and moving to the people around me? How can I help them on their way to glory and honor? Like That's who you are to God brothers and sisters. You're not just some creature. You're not just some person. You're not just some married person or unmarried. You're like You are so incredibly important to him. And he has nothing else in mind for you but that you can receive glory and honor and that you can help the people around you to receive glory and honor. Like what an incredible gift that God has for us as his followers. And yes, sometimes that means that to be his follower is just really hard. And there's suffering involved in that. Absolutely. To live up to the standard of the gospel is challenging. It's difficult. And it involves suffering. And yet, to consider the eternal weight of glory that awaits us. It's all worth it. If only you and I would embrace it. Embrace it as a child embraces it. Whatever you say, Jesus. Whatever you say.